And we're back. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in with us wherever you are and however you may be joining us. Uh, you have found the Mike and Mike podcast as we uh, continue on just bannering and talking about biblical truths and trying to find some uh, deep lessons that we can learn from some things that we've studied and discussed. As always, my esteemed colleague, uh, Michael Ray, is joining us from Somerset. Michael, how's everything down in your world? All is well. Uh, thank you. It's it's uh, it's good to good to be here. We, I, th- I think we uh, weren't exactly sure where we we're going to go with this conversation, but in our in our very, we made it sound very professional last week when you said you had we had a uh, a, a pre pod meeting or whatever you call it. Yeah, in our pre pod meeting, I thought this went really well. So uh, let's see. Yeah, we are. Um... So, and I'm going to steal your phrase from last week since uh, I've gotten some feedback on it this week, but uh, the non-felt board version of uh, some of these Old Testament stories is what we've been doing. We've called the idea not flawless, where we go back and look at some Bible characters that you know their story. You know, when you get there, you know the story, you know the punchline. But so often we miss some of the details that add depth to these characters and quite honestly make them real. What I love about the scriptures are that they're honest about the righteousness that at sometimes characters display, as well as the wickedness that's waiting behind the door, which if we're honest with ourselves, that's all of us, right? Some days we're, we're good guys and we're good people. Other days we're scumbags. And if our life story was written somewhere in the new Testament or the old Testament, all of our good and bad would be exposed. And that's what we're trying to talk with today. Um, tonight, we've got a character that you know well, but this he's a little different, um, and, and, and we're going to push back a little bit. Um, but Lot, um, that we find in the Old Testament, it, in the New Testament, it, he's described in a couple different places as righteous Lot, and Lot is seen as righteous. The Holy Spirit-inspired writers term Lot as righteous, but oftentimes we know, you know, the punchline of the story is his family's in Sodom and Gomorrah, and they're beating on the door trying to get the angels to bring him out. And his wife looks back, turns to a pillar of salt and, you know, things start to go, go sideways from there. So there's a lot here. There's a lot that is not, um, not felt board appropriate. Um, I will say that, that we're going to kind of touch on those, but understand while we're not, we're going to go a little beyond felt board. We're going to at least uh, keep it to PG 13 because our two most loyal listeners go by the name of mom. It's going to be a little embarrassing for us to talk about some of this stuff. Um, but we're at least going to, going to take a shot at it. So, Michael, give us the 30,000-foot overview of who Lot is and where he fits in the biblical canon. And we learn, uh, yeah, there, there's definitely some non-felt board stuff here. Um, <laughs> the town wanting to sexually assault angels is not, I've never, never seen that in the children's book. Um, so, yeah. I'm not there's, sure how you would do that on a felt board either. There's <laughs> some, there's some wild stuff happening but we look we learn in genesis chapter 11 that lot is is abraham's nephew and we also learn that his that his father heron has died and so um in, in, as we move through the subsequent chapter genesis 11 12 13 and, and again think about how early in um in 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 bible history we are here we're this you know just a couple of chapters removed from the flood um, so we're, we're, we're very, very early on in Bible history, but, but because they are close relatives and, and uh, Abraham is his uncle um, and because his father's died, it, it does appear that, you know, at, at first they both go um, 
uh, with with Abram's father um, to, to the land of Haran and, and settle there. But but then when when Abram's father dies, uh, it seems very much that that Abram has taken a lot under his wing, so to speak, um, and has taken care of him uh, since his father has has died. And so Abraham and Lot are traveling together, and there's there's some wild adventures in in chapters you know 12 13 14 they're kind of outside the scope of the, of the pod tonight but but i think the story that, that everyone is familiar with and, and maybe a good place to start because because everything else that happens in a lot life lots life um the, the hinge kind of turns here on on this account where we where we see uh in genesis 13 where abram and lot separate and you know this this is the felt board story, right? That this is the story about the generosity and the humility of Lot that he allows, um, excuse me, the generosity and, and humility of Abram that that he allows Lot to look around and, and choose which direction that they want to go. Story, the story goes that both of them had accumulated so much wealth and herds that their um, their herdsmen were, were quarreling. They they this this town wasn't big enough for the both of them, so to speak. And, and so they decide to separate. And, and I'm, I'm just going to read a couple of verses here, um, Mike, to, to kind of set up the conversation. This is a story we will know, but I think there is an important point here, and it kind of leads to other stuff. Abraham said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between our herdsmen. We are kinsmen. The whole land is before us. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left, I'll take the right. If you take the right, I'll go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the Jordan Valley, that it was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. And Lot chose for himself this Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east and they separated. Abram settled in the land of Canaan. Lot settled him in the city of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Uh, and then we get this kind of ominous uh, uh, pre-foreshadowing in verse 13 of Genesis 13. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. So, um, somewhat unclear, maybe in that verse, if, if Lot knew that exactly. Uh, but we do, we do see that come, come into play, uh, that Lot had this very important decision to make and the decision literally affected his, the rest of his life and his family's life. So th there's a couple things I want to pinpoint out there. One, it appears that they are wildly successful together, right? They are, you know, every bit of, you know, Jobs and Wozniak or Hewlett and Packard or, you know, whatever, you know, kind of team joint ventures we can think of in our present day. And I also think it's very interesting that the way that they looked at this was not necessarily troubling for either one of them. To Abraham's statement, he said, the whole land is before us. Like, boys, we can be successful anywhere. <laughs> you know, if you want to go right, I'll go left. You go left, I'll go right. But neither one of them was concerned about the what laid ahead, which I think says a lot about their faith and their relationship in God and the fact that they had been blessed so far and continue to grow and grow and grow. But now that they're, you know, kind of herdsmen are competing for one another and you've got some issues there, you know, they separate. But, you know, Michael, let, let's try to boil this down into our terms. I, I don't think we've got a whole lot of agricultural listeners that's out here to our podcast, but how do you make the decision as he's looking off, you know, at the horizon? What goes into making this decision if you are a 
early biblical history herdsman? How do you make that call as to go right or left? Yeah, and this is the this is the same decision that families are faced with routinely in in our day and time. Families that you have talked to, families that I have talked to, um, people make the decision where is the where is the best place, where is the best job prospects for me and my family. Um, what which I have these two job opportunities. Um, which one should I take? Which one's going to be better for my family? Um, it's pretty clear from Lot's reaction to Abraham's offer that this was a uh, this was an economic decision for him. Um, he saw that the land was well watered. He saw that it was like the land of Egypt. He saw that the valley was uh, was was a place where a herdsman, which is what he was, could be prosperous. Um, so. Just a, it's a decision like lots of people have made. Um, it was it was an economic decision. This is what's going to be best for my family. And that's the decision you made. And and if we're you know, so it's easy for us, right? I, I think this is the 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 other basic tenet of of Bible study that's important. It's always easy to play Monday morning quarterback, right? It's easy for us to look at the outcome and to say. You know, lot you should have gone the other direction, or you both should have went one direction, or whatever. It's easy for us to say that knowing the outcome, but in the moment, how do you make these decisions knowing that they're economical in nature, knowing that you're looking out for? Because who who all's lots responsible for at this point, Michael? Yeah, it, it's a little unclear, but clear. It's obviously he's got a number of of. Uh, employees is probably not exactly the right word, but I'm, I'm going to um, I'm going to use it. He's got he's got a number of, of people that are in his employ. Um, he has um, a number of herds, and it's it's almost certain that he has some uh, some family already with him. Um, we're not we're not clear. I don't I don't know if we know that his daughters have been born yet, um, but it's clear that he's got some family with him. Um, when, when he, when he goes to Sodom. So this, this is, to, I, th- I think to your, the point you're making, um, this wouldn't necessarily be a selfish decision. This is a decision that is made with a, with an eye toward the fact that he, um, is responsible for, uh, the, doing things in the best interest of a number of others. Yeah. And, and I mean, he's at least got enough employees that, and, and again, I'm trying to use our vernacular. He's got enough people that's with his party that they're getting into it with Abraham's people, right? You know, that that's the whole reason for the split. It's not that Lot and Abraham are getting into it, or Abram at this point. It's that their herdsmen are, are, are fighting and, and kind of bickering back and forth together. So, and, and, to- and I think it would add to, it would be very reasonable to assume that we're not talking about there's two on each side and they right. can't get along, right? Um, we're, we're talking about a, a number of herdsmen to the point where it is almost gotten out of Abram and Lot's control. Right. Yeah. If it's, if it's one or two guys, they could sit them down in a tent and say, boys, we're going to squash whatever's going on between you, but it's got to be enough to where the reasonable decision is we're going to have to break these herds up. <laughs> so I think sometimes again, it's easy for us to say, well, if I was Lot, I would have just carved off a little spot over here, retired comfortably and wouldn't be worried about, all the you know wealth that I could possibly make going toward the valley here. 
really Lot was trying to find enough space where him and his herdsmen all could prosper and that all these families could be fed and taken care of and, and whatnot. So he's not only making a decision for himself, but making a decision for others. Uh, what, you know, we know what he did, but what, what could he have done differently, Michael? I think that just uh, for me, that answer ultimately goes to what did he know? And um, if, if the reputation of Sodom was such that the, the Bible writer sees fit to indicate that to us before we even get to the account of Lot in Sodom, that, that this was a renowned place of wicked people. I, I'm somewhat reluctant to say Lot just went in and was just blindsided. Like he was just, uh, he, he couldn't believe what he got himself into. This was, this was, um, with, with that kind of reputation and, and Abraham and Lot have their own reputation, right? From, from the things they've been through and the wealth they've accumulated. It's somewhat difficult to me, for me to believe that, that no emissaries from Sodom had ever interacted with any of Lot's herdsmen, that, that there's, there's not been any indication to Lot of what he might be getting into. Well, and back up a couple of chapters. Again, it's, it's hard timelines, right? Cause I think sometimes we, we feel like, you know, chapter, 15 happened a couple of days after chapter 14, which happened a couple of weeks after chapter 13. There could be decades in between here, but we know at least at one point they were involved with the king of Sodom. You know, when Lot got captured and kidnapped and they went on these adventures together, the king of Sodom was involved in that. So maybe, and and, and again, we're, we're talking conjecture here. <clears throat> maybe Lot expected because of the previous relationships with the king of Sodom that he could be left alone. Like, hey, these guys know me and know what I'm about, know what Abraham's about, and we can find a spot on the outskirts of town if the wickedness is prevailing. But the other thought that I had was, you know, if if he didn't know, could he have, couldn't he have sent a little scouting party out, you know, to go, hey, guys, why don't you guys go into Sodom, try and trade or something in Sodom and get us a lay of the land? Because where I go in my mind when I try to make the parallels and comparison is, you know, if I'm offered a job at some remote city of the United States, you know, one of the things that typically we do is, you know, you may fly in for an interview, drive around town and whatnot, but do we spend the time, you know, looking for more of God's people that are there, finding a church family? Do we, do we, is that in the compensation package or do we look at the fact that I'm making X and if I make this move, I'm going to make Y and therefore I'll figure all the other stuff out. You know, and I think that may be part of this is he's looking at the opportunity and the upside and doesn't consider what the costs could be, because that's one of the terms, you know, again, you're dealing with an accountant and a financial planner on this. You know, we subscribe to the principle that there's no such thing as a free lunch, that economic principle that there's always going to be a cost associated with whatever gains you have. So if you haven't counted the cost, if you haven't figured the cost, if you haven't analyzed the cost and figured out whether or not it's worth the risk to the gain, I, I think that may be where he's, he's lacking a little bit here too. Agreed. And, and back to your earlier point, I, I think based on what we know about Sodom, if he had sent a couple of herdsmen and uh, said, hey, go spend the night in Sodom in the town square and see how that, like, I think he would have found out quite right. quickly, <laughs> quite quickly what, what Sodom was all about. Um, yeah. It, it's almost 
too perfect of a parallel, right? I mean, it's it's almost too on the nose that God is is telling us through this story. It's like, hey, watch yourself when you when you are uh, moving your family to a new geographic area for economic reasons. <laughs> I mean, it's it's almost too on the nose, right? But and here's here's my pushback. Lot's still righteous making this decision, right? You know, it's not as if, and, and I think sometimes we get down to this of if you're going into this situation, you're doing it for economics and the family and all that stuff, that that, that may become a moral conversation. Well, it's wrong for you to take this job. It, it wasn't necessarily wrong, right? Lot is still called righteous. But what we find by the time we get to chapter 19, and, and what's going on there? We've got, you know, them beating down the doors for the angels, Lot offering up his daughters and that whole, you know, again, we don't have time to get into the minutia of all of that. But you know what else I find extraordinary, Michael? There's eight, there's, there's what? How many of them was there? Was there six, eight that are found? It wasn't 10 righteous, right? That wasn't that the bargain that, that um, Abram struck up? So think about all these herdsmen that are with Lot right now, enough that they're fighting with Abram's herdsmen. They've been under their influence. I would argue that they're probably fairly righteous when they were with Abraham, Abram and Lot. Now, after some years in the city, some years in the, in the plane here, his herdsmen are nowhere to be found when we're counting righteous people. So I also find that extraordinary. Yeah, he... he, he... He lost spiritually. He lost some of his family and it appears on all of his employees, uh, mm-hmm. all of his coworkers. Um, I, I, I would, I would question the conversation about, was this a, was this a, a righteous decision? And I think the whole premise of our study here is that righteous people can make lousy decisions. Like that's, that's kind of the whole point. Um, and so, I don't think that we can go to, and what is the verse? I, I was just looking at it. I don't. I don't think we can go to Second Peter, and I'll, I'll read the verse uh, just so we can have it in our in our memory. Second Peter two seven, and say, and if he rescued righteous Lot greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, um, I don't think we can go to that verse. Oh, it's righteous Lot, and therefore we can we can extrapolate from that. that these decisions must not have been poor decisions. They were just uh, a righteous person who made a decision and got put into the, to the wrong spot. I mean, uh, again, our, our, our whole series of, of studies here is that righteous people can make some pretty cruddy decisions. And, and I, I think I would argue that's kind of what Lot did here. Um, now, can bad decisions be made with good intentions? Absolutely. With, with um, very defensible um, on the surface, very defensible ideas. Um, was this was this about greed, or was it just about uh, responsibility to take care of the people that w- were was with him? Um, that's a very defensible thing. I've got a family to support. I've got um, I, I've got um, people that are traveling with us. I got coworkers to support, and and yet. I mean, you just, if you just judge it like you judge a racehorse, judge it by performance, mm-hmm. that was a lousy decision. Right. Um, so righteous lot made a, made a lousy, ungodly decision that cost him his family. Now, 
the the really incredible thing there is that he still writes a lot, in my judgment. Um, so what Peter goes on to say in verse eight, it says that righteous man lived among them day after day. He, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Um, so both of these things can be true. And that's what's remarkable. He put himself in that situation. And yet he's righteous lot at the end of it. And, and, and I think that that's really what I'm driving at here. And, and I think what's incredible about this is to your point that righteous people, even when they're righteous at the end, right? If we, if, again, back to your analogy, you judge a racehorse by how it finished. Well, he finished righteous. Now, did he also up his degree of difficulty in maintaining that righteousness? Absolutely, right? He went into the viper's pit and it says very clearly that his righteousness was vexed every day by the things that were going on. And yet, you know, here's the other thing that, that that's extraordinary here is that we can make the best decisions with defensible points and be reasonable and convince ourselves and convince our family and maybe convince people that love us around us when we're making these decisions and it still be the wrong decision. Because what I found, what I find is that's, that's absolutely extraordinary is yes. Was he rescued? And does Peter make that point about, about him being rescued and Abram and all that, but why didn't he leave earlier? I mean, at, at what point when you watch herdsman after herdsman, family after family continue to fall away that you get to the point where there's not 10 of you that are righteous to get out of the city because God would have spared the whole city for 10. We couldn't come up with 10 righteous people. And your wife was at least having mixed feelings on this. I mean, she's righteous, but you know, she ends up in a pillar of salt on the way out when she turns back to look at the city for whatever reason. And that's a whole nother, you know, uh, can of snakes to get through of why she looked back and what she was looking for and all that stuff. But, you know, at the end of the day, we can put ourselves in very difficult positions, maintain our righteousness, but at what cost, you know, at what cost do we have mental, emotional, spiritual toll to maintain that? And, and, you know, those of you that have, that have, that have heard me preach from, from time to time, know that I use this analogy that of our faith, like a bucket with a hole in it. That, you know, every day we do things to try to fill that bucket up with the water of faith, but just the, you know, the, the rub of the day, there's a small enough hole in the bottom of that bucket that some of our faith is, is, is leaving out. But what Lot just did is he just drilled a big old hole in the bottom of it. The what he would have to do for his faith every day just to maintain neutral became a chore and it vexed his righteousness having to deal with that. So the question that, that we've got to come back to as serious Bible students and as leaders of families and as those that are in these decisions are, are we truly counting all of the costs and the decisions that we're making, even when we make them defensible? Yeah. Do you, do you, do you think that having to make the decision to offer your daughters to a, uh, a immoral, uh, crowd wanting to sexually assault someone would vex your righteous soul i i, I yeah i mean what and, and, and quite honestly that that's the best decision like that's what you're left to you're it's either you know the angels that you're protecting those visitors overnight whether he knew they were angels or not different story but those visitors those strangers those foreigners that you're protecting 
that your next best bet to protect them is to sacrifice the daughters? You know, what, what kind of position do you get into where that's your two choices? And how vexing is that, that that's the two choices that you're, you're left with? And I think, you know, when we put our, you know, we struggle and we have sufferings and we have persecution, part of the question we need to ask ourselves is what role did we play in putting ourselves in that spot? Did we kind of dig this hole before we fell into it? And if we, we can't go back and trace that and look at the missteps we made along the way, then we're doomed to repeat them again. And, um, you know, if, if you, if you want the, the murky water on lot, lots morality to get even, to get even murkier, you, you go to the end of uh, chapter 19, where he, he manages to impregnate both of his daughters um, that you, you, there, there is not a felt board version of that particular little encounter. And, um, and yet, Righteous Lot was vexed. Um, so uh, this is a pretty extreme example. Um, and, and I think God gives us extreme examples at times. Um, it's pretty clear. Lot made some really bad choices and, and choices that uh, corrupted and ultimately probably cost him his family. Um, just, just, just because a lot, um, into the race being called righteous. I don't think that, that he would, would he do it the same way? Like that, that's almost a, that's kind of a dumb question, right? Yeah. I, 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 there's, well, there's any choice that like we, we always say, well, if you make it to heaven, you know, um, if you make, if you make it to heaven then then you won. And, and, and I understand that point and I agree with it in a lot of ways, but if, if you make a choice that costs you your entire family and, and all of your associates and everything that, you know, and, and you survive, what is the, the writer, what does Jude say? Like clothes, you know, smelling like fire or snatched from the fire. Um, like, would you make, would you make those exact same decisions? Like, are you, are we like, I, so I, I think that's kind of an interesting thing to think about also. Well, and, and, and there's, there's so much to, to dig through there too. I mean, at, you know, he's got at one point, you know, virgin daughters, right. That he's sacrificing, you know, a, a few verses earlier, right. To the, the crowd that's banging outside the door, but they end up so depraved in their way of thinking that they're willing to get their father drunk and sleep with them to further the cause that, that their moral compass and moral line has gotten skewed here. No question. But, they believe is righteous, but they had to be righteous enough. Remember that was the bargain with, with Abraham and, and God, right? We need 10 righteous souls. And we got to, you know, the five or six of them, however many words they were leaving town, but they were counted among those that were allowed to leave as righteous to escape from that. And yet those wounds are still lasting. You know, I, I think that, that we have to be honest with ourselves when we put ourselves in certain situations, while we may come out, you know, righteous on the other side of it, what, what stains have we brought back with us? What, you know, virus have we brought back to the camp that's going to infect the rest of the family? Because, you know, I, you don't go through all those things completely uh, unscathed. And, and what about the events and situations that we put our families in you know, ultimately, Lot's responsible for those, right? Because he's the one, the head of the household making decisions. 
and and yet there still is and and that's the other side of this that's important there still is the personal accountability right their sins were not counted toward lot you know the herdsmen that fell away aren't laid at lot's feet you know the wife that was pillar salt's not laid at lot's feet the daughters and their bad decisions aren't laid at lot's feet lot's righteous but there's a lot of carnal damage in lot's path and so what do you tell really good strong believing people <clears throat> who are in unholy places my advice is count the cost and and be honest with yourself about what it's costing you to be in said unholy place and while do i believe it's possible and, you know, pick a place, you know, Las Vegas, you know, I think it's possible for there to be Christians in Las Vegas. Absolutely. I think it's possible. Do I think you've upped your degree of difficulty to be involved with the things that go around there? Yeah, I, I do. I think it's, it's going to be harder when that, you know, when you're known as sin city and that's how you do your tourism advertising. Um, but I don't, you know, I'm, I'm picking on Vegas, but I mean, choose some of these cities around the world and other countries and other places where, you know, debauchery is the, the name of the day. And, and I think what you find is, is the warning to the church in Thyatira and Revelation or the warning to some of these churches that ended up compromising in their communities. And instead of maintaining righteousness, the righteousness after being beat on for a while gets through. So the question is, you know, kind of have you counted the cost and, and do you have options? You know, that, that's the thing that that is amazing about the country that we live in is we're mobile. You know, if, if you don't like where you're at, there's nothing that's stopping you from picking up and moving from, you know, central Kentucky to California or New York or Florida or anywhere else. I mean, you can there's mobility here and you have choices. You, you're not necessarily um, tied, but it's, it's a decision that every family has to make. And, you know, can I also on the other side of the coin? you know, say to really strong, you know, brother or sister that's in one of those spots that what you're doing is going to cost you your soul or you can't be righteous here. No, because life could, it was just hard. Yeah. I, I, I think that's a hard one. I'm trying to think of how to formulate a response there. You know, Christianity got a foothold in Rome and, um, and in some other, some other places that in Corinth and was pretty strong in Corinth and, you know, uh, I, I think that's a really, a really hard, a really hard thing. Do we want all of the good people to abandon these difficult areas? Um, and, and, and maybe and, there's, there's also something to that strength of numbers too, right? If there's not 10 of you in a city, <laughs> Maybe you know it's it's time to cut bait. Um, yeah, and then now, now I think I think that's fair. Um, you know, there's, there's a really strong congregation in Las Vegas. You know, I got mm -hmm. good friends. I got good friends there. Yeah, and, um, there is a there's a community of believers mm -hmm. that that are shining shining light there. Uh, I think I think. Knowing real people in that scenario makes makes this uh, theoretical conversation a little less theoretical. 
And um, those were those were really hard. Those are really hard choices. No, absolutely. And, and let's let's be very clear here. Um, and again, if you've you've been in Bible class with me or heard me from the pulpit, everything is easy academically, right? Michael and I can talk about this very very easily on a podcast, right? Without we live in Central Kentucky, we're we're not making this decision. It's a whole lot different when you got a mortgage and property and a good job and all of those things, family roots and ties. And look, it's, it's again, perfectly easy academically, very, very hard practically. And, and that's, that's the thing with this is, you know, I, I, I've said oftentimes that, you know, the, the gospel and the decisions that we make as Christians are simple. They're not easy. <laughs> They're simple. They're just not easy. And, and, perhaps tying this back to lot if we want to kind of wrap up this part of it what what makes lot situation really unique is he did have a choice right mm-hmm. and he had a uh, he had a, a pretty clear choice uh, a choice that did not come with any uh real short-term cost you know like he could have made the decision to the right hand just as easy as the left and they, they cost him the same at least in um, in, in terms of the initial, the initial move. So I, th- I think that does make it a little unique choosing that step um, rather than looking around and saying, can, you know, with our brothers here, is this the right place to be? That's one question, but should we, should we seek that out is something a little different perhaps. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's more where I am with, with these opportunities and, and we've had them, you know, come to Danville, um, where, you know, people have been moved with their job or potentially could be moved and they're interviewing and they come and they worship with us. And we've got two or three families there right now that will tell you the reason they accepted the job was they had a church family in Danville that they could lean on. And, and I think that's important if you do the investigation to find that versus, you know, do you go somewhere and you can't find any of the Lord's people and you still make the, the move, right? And and you make it, you know, well, we'll just start a church here. We'll do this or we'll do that. I mean, I, again, good intentions that may create difficulty that you haven't foreseen. And uh, what what a what a depressing thought it would be that Christians would uh, make an economic choice and go through the entire process and then discover that there wasn't a place that they were comfortable worshiping. Mm-hmm. And I know of those stories mm-hmm. um, that, that unfortunately says something about the priority, about prioritization. Mm-hmm. And listen, that's, um, that, that is not a, um, what's the right, what's the right thing to say that it's not said to be, to be judgmental or to be mean, but it, it, um, it, it just does kind of speak to that. Yeah. And it, it's, it's, it's one of those hard truths that we have to be honest with ourselves about. And I think that becomes the most hard, the most difficult piece of all of this, you know, did lot at some point laying awake in bed at night, hearing what's going on outside ever consider, you know, maybe me and, you know, the wife and the girls should try to hook back up with Abram. And, and maybe there was some 
you know, pride or reluctance or whatever to go hat in hand back and say, Hey, I made this move and it didn't pan out well. Um, now it, it seems very clear from Abrams interceding with God, they'd welcome him back with open arms, you know, probably staked him if they, if he had to, right. You know, Hey, you know, you got out of there and did, didn't leave with any herd, you know, let me spot you some and you can try to turn these things over and rebuild. Um, you know, if, if Abram's willing to bargain with God uh, over Lot's soul and cities, what wouldn't he have done? And, and, and I think maybe sometimes that, that's part of the problem, too, is our own pride or whatever gets in the way. And, you know, we're afraid to say, look, I made a bad call here. I, I probably shouldn't have made this move. And, you know, we need to try to do something else um, rather than live with the consequences. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a that's an excellent point. And, and obviously there is some um, subjectivity here where we are reading into the text. But would it could it be possible that Lot didn't think those things, you know, if he, if he's a righteous person and his, and his soul is being vexed every day by what he sees around him. Like if, if he's truly righteous, he, he's spending time thinking about how to get out of this. Mm-hmm. There's no question that he is. Um, and, uh, you wonder about, you wonder about the pride factor. Um, and, and, and you wonder too, and again, we, completely reading into the text here. Um, so g- give us a little bit of rope, but you wonder too, if he felt on some level, he was making an impact that, you know, people are seeing the example of me and my family and how we're not involved in this. And maybe there's some folks that are at least showing some mild interest, not enough to righteous, right? Cause we don't have the righteous people in there, but maybe, you know, at least he felt in his mind or in his heart that there were a few that were close and maybe he was sticking it out, you know, whether it be to, you know, protect or influence them or whatever, you know, there's, there's, I'm trying to put myself in that situation to say, why do you hang on with the soul being vexed? And, And maybe that's part of it. Maybe he thought, you know, he was all that was between Sodom and Gomorrah's falling, not knowing that they were a couple souls light. And so let's end on this one and, and I'll let you answer it. You're in that scenario. We're all in that scenario to some extent. We're just not necessarily in the middle of Sodom, but uh, I'm, I'm becoming more convinced we're in the middle of Babylon. Um, or at least Rome. Um, how do you know if you're having an influence on the culture, if the culture is having an influence on you? That, my friend, uh, is the million-dollar question. I think that we all have to be honest and struggle with, of uh, you know, what what part of this are we, you know, are we, you know, and, and I'm, you know, borrowing heavy from Revelation because I'm teaching a class on it right now, but, you know, the two biggest conflicts we see in the seven churches of Asia Minor are some are facing heavy persecution and some are facing heavy complacency and acceptance where they've watered down the gospel to become more like those that are around us. And, you know, I, I, I use this goofy analogy all the time about that because nobody, nobody wants to believe that they're a follower, but you know, the, the correct answer is all of us that are listening to this podcast, pick up your high school yearbook and look how you used to dress. 
like none of that looked good. You know, if you were in the seventies and you wore, you know, zoot suits and big goofy curly hair, that looked goofy. Everybody knows that, but we all did it because that's what everybody else did and what everybody else looked like. And we, as much as we know we're supposed to be different and we're supposed to be salt and light and all that, the last thing any of us really want to do is stand out in the crowd. We really don't. We want to kind of be like other people around us. We don't want to be strange and different and weird. Um, none of us kind of want to be that. And, and, and even if you look at the, you know, counterculture movements, you know, Michael and I grew up in the nineties and, you know, we had the, the, the golf kids that all looked exactly alike golf, not wanting to look like everybody else, but they found a bunch of other people that looked just like them and dressed a certain way and listened to a certain kind of music and all that. So we, we do that from time to time. And, and I think, you know, especially what, you know, I, I've seen over my short lifetime is that, you know, there are certain things that are okay and acceptable now in our lives that wouldn't have been 25, 30 years ago. Um, you know, I, whether we talk about, you know, modesty or whether we talk about, you know, language, or whether we talk about certain aspects that we put ourselves into that it doesn't, it doesn't sting like it once would. It, it's not, you know, there's a lot more acceptance along a few things, which, you know, th there's some of that, that is it creeping into and we're, you know, our moral compass was here and now it's kind of down here because everybody else is even further lower. Are we, you know, just kind of keeping a margin above what everybody else's morality is, but as their morality level drops, our margin drops in time with it. I don't know. Um, but it's, it's definitely something, you know, I can point to, to, to a few things like that, that are just, you know, different at this point and uh, rightly or wrongly, did, did we, you know, have things moved too far one way or another. I, I, I guess time judges that more so than I can. Um, but I think that's a fear that we all have to have uh, of are we lowering our standards because society has lowered theirs even further? Yeah. I mean, we are being influenced by our culture, right? I think that that's the point you're making. I mean, you got on an Under Armour shirt. And I've got on Under Armour pants as we speak. Mm -hmm. We we didn't we didn't make that choice because we researched thirty five different polo shirts, and this was the one that had the thread count that most was suitable to our particular. Like we chose it because it looked cool, and Jordan Spieth wore it, or whatever, you know. It, it, it and probably not that overtly, you know, way more subconsciously than that. But like we chose our glasses because these are the style of glasses that people are wearing, like in, in any number of ways. And so in, in, in the ways that really matter, is it happening? That that's what should keep us as um, husbands and fathers and deacons up at night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and how we're, you know, like you said, to how that needle's moving. I mean, is it things that matter or don't? And, you know, when we get into, you know, things that the Bible specifically is warning about, you know, sexual immorality and modesty and things like that. I mean, are those, are we moving that line as well? Because now society has moved it. And, you know, but I, I don't want to be the guy that, that this is the worst times that there are. Of course not. I'm 100% a student of history. 
and I can take you back along the bell curve of history and show you where it was a lot worse. I mean, if Paul has to openly write about bestiality in Romans chapter one, I don't think we're there yet. I don't think if, you know, Paul's writing a letter to the church at Danville or the church at Somerset, bestiality is high on the list of things to talk about, but it wasn't wrong. Um, and you've got, you know, Aristotle and Plato and Socrates that openly discussed pedophilia as part of grooming a young man to become a philosopher. Um, we're not there yet. Um, are we going to be there in a decade or two or three or five? I, I don't know. But it seems like we go through periods throughout history where things get pretty loose morally before some catastrophic event whether that be the, you know, bubonic plague or the dark ages or, you know, the different things that happen in time. And we have, you know, reformation movements and restoration movements and enlightenment and periods where people come back to God. Um, so is this part of just some deeper cycle? Maybe. But the question we all have to ask ourselves is for, excuse me, for me in my house, where do we stand? Yeah, did, did Lot think he was being influenced? Um, if you interviewed Lot three weeks later, would he have been shocked that his wife turned around? Would he have been shocked that he himself lingered? We read in the text. Uh, would, would he have been shocked at the, the the fact that none of his herdsmen came with him, and that his daughters were were influenced the way they were? Um, and and yeah, the, the, I think I, I, I would think, love I to have. Interesting. I would love to have Lot's conversation with Pharaoh like we had Jacob's, right? When asked if somebody here in the text asked him about his life, how would Lot look back? You know, remember in our conversation a, a couple of weeks ago about Jacob that he said to Pharaoh, you know, long and miserable have been the days of my life. Um, and all, you know, all of the things that he had done, what he had sowed, he definitely reaped in his lifetime and pain and torment and being tricked over some things. Um, I wonder if we had, you know, lots Ecclesiastes or lots conversation with Pharaoh, um, how much insight we'd have into what this torment really looked like. Be, uh, beware the well-watered valleys of Zoar, uh, wherever you may find them. This 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 got darker than usual. We're, <laughs> we're typically optimistic, uh, but maybe next week. Definitely, definitely. We'll uh We'll work through a little bit better next time. Let's so let's put a quick bow on this. Um, lessons from tonight are, um, you know, to Michael's point, beware where we're pitching our tents and how well the water looks on the other side and who else it's attracting. Um, I think that's important. I think it's important for us to, to even though we're in, and, and this is another point that, that we hit that I hope you don't walk away without is that, even when you're in a defensible position that you feel really good about, doesn't make it right <laughs> and doesn't make it the best decision. And, and maybe that's it, that, that, you know, even when sometimes it's not a right and wrong decision, there's a best decision that, that could be made. And it may not be the economic decision. It, it may be something else. Um, but when we go through these situations, these difficulties, these trials, especially when we put ourselves in them, we don't come out unscathed. And, and I think that's, that's something that we've got to be mindful of as, as opportunities are presented to us. Um, the big job in the foreign city or far city may not necessarily be from God. And, and I think, you know, 
sometimes we want to make that tie that we've been praying about this and God's opened this door, but maybe it's temptation and instead of the Lord and maybe a little soul searching can help us find out the right answer there. Yeah. That, that question and the question of uh, what kind of influence is the culture having on me? Those take a ton of discernment. They take a ton of prayer. They take a, they take good um, accountability partners. Um, they take a, a community of people that care about you and are watching out for you as well. Um, uh, uh, so all, all that stuff, all that stuff's critical. Yeah, that um, I'm going to throw one more in that we didn't talk about, but, you know, bonus point uh, here. Never underestimate the value of people that love you, that are praying for you and watching out for you. Because without Abram, Lot probably doesn't make it out alive. And Abram's prayers and intercessions with God to, to save his nephew um, is powerful. And, and I think there's a lot of us that are, uh, that are out there surviving on the prayers of people that love us. And that's a huge, huge blessing that we ought to be thankful for. Well said, my man. All right. Again, thank you for tuning in with us. Thank you for being with us. However you are finding us and uh, wherever you are at this phase of your life, we hope we've given you some things to think about. Hope we challenge you a little bit. And even though uh, a little darker than we normally are, um, Hopefully it's beneficial in your life and your spiritual journey. Till next time, my friend. See you, buddy.